Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Our data, based on our behaviors, is frequently being gathered, tracked, stored, and sold. So what does this mean for us? Join host Rafi Krikorian for season two of Technically Optimistic, where he'll take you on a deep dive into how our data is being used and what we can do about it. From social media feeds to foundational human rights, Krikorian leads us into territories both familiar and unexpected with openness and genuine curiosity. New episodes of Technically Optimistic drop every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neelai Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today I'm talking to Anthony Castellana, the founder and CEO of Squarespace, the ubiquitous web hosting and design company. If you've been on the web, you've visited a Squarespace site. And if you're a podcast listener, you've heard a Squarespace ad. I was excited to talk to Anthony because it really feels like we're going through a reset moment on the internet. And I wanted to hear how he's thinking about the web and what websites are even for in 2023. If you're a Virtuous listener, you know I've been saying it feels a lot like 2011 out there. The big platforms like Facebook and TikTok are focused on entertainment content. Twitter is going through, let's call them changes. People are trying out new platforms like Instagram threads and rethinking their relationships with old standbys like Reddit. And the AI explosion means that search engines like Google, which has really become the last great source of traffic for web pages, just doesn't seem all that reliable anymore because Google is starting to answer more and more questions directly. It's uncertain and exciting. A lot of the things we took for granted just a couple years ago about how business on the internet worked are up for grabs, and I think that might be a good thing. Anthony's been there through all of it. He founded Squarespace in his dorm room in 2003, and over the past 20 years, he's seen a lot of these web ideas come and go. So my question was pretty simple. Why would anyone even make a website in 2023? Anthony's answer was fairly surprising to me. He said a lot of Squarespace clients think of Instagram and other social sites as their homepage, and they only bring people to their websites to complete transactions because they have more payment options on the web. That's a pretty huge shift in thinking and a radically different perspective on the internet and how users move around on it. The other huge shift in thinking is obviously AI. Where does all the content on a website come from? And what does it mean if we just let AI write all of it? It's already happening in interesting ways and pretty obviously bad ways. And Squarespace is in the mix with new AI tools for generating sites and copy with OpenAI's tools. Is that good for the web? Is it good for business? Is it good for people? I think these questions are pretty open, and Anthony and I got into it a little bit. Squarespace also just made a pretty big acquisition. They bought Google's domain registration business, which will make Squarespace the fourth largest domain registrar on the web. I wanted to know how a deal like that goes down, how it works on a technical level, and of course, how Squarespace is structured to support it. It is decoder after all. I love talking to people who have been building on the web for this long, and Anthony was no exception. We had a lot of fun with this one. Also, I think this is the most we have ever talked about pressure washers on Decoder. Okay, Anthony Castellana, founder and CEO of Squarespace. Here we go. Anthony Castellana, you are the founder and CEO of Squarespace. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to talk to you. Squarespace is one of the sort of OG web companies. I am very interested in the future of the web. It seems like there's a few parallel revolutions going on with the web. The social platforms are all changing. Some of them are even in crisis. They're not sending traffic to websites anymore. Something is happening with Google and AI and how they're going to send traffic. And then AI itself If there's a text box on the internet, people are shoving AI into it, and it's going to flood us all with stuff. It it just seems like a lot 
of things are changing around the web, around how we think about the web, how we might navigate the web, why people might even make websites. You've been at it for 20 years with Squarespace. Mm-hmm. How are you thinking about all this change? We, we celebrated our 20th anniversary in April. So, you know, we're used to a web pre-social network phase almost, pre-YouTube, pre-iPhone, predominant browser was Internet Explorer. Yeah. You know, so we, we've seen a, a lot. Yeah, blogging was a word I used to have to explain to people what it meant uh, when Squarespace launched. And so, you know, we're, we're no stranger to change on the web. And, you know, it's with that that I'm actually super excited about what it means for the future. I mean, when Squarespace started, publishing on the web was an intimidating thing. So we started as a blogging platform because, you know, starting a blog was easy. And so from that, you know, over the years, as browsers got more sophisticated, we transitioned into more and more graphically rich websites, a lot of portfolio websites and artist websites started on Squarespace about a decade ago. Really, since then, we've been in an era of really the proliferation of a lot of different types of commerce on the web, and especially commerce that's in the hands of people who, you know, couldn't have built an online store or a services-based business, you know, 10 years ago on the web because technology is too difficult, but now they can use the web for all kinds of things. And so I think having a space that you own on the internet right now that's authoritative is almost more important than ever, right? This is your online real estate. You have a domain that you own. Squarespace doesn't put anything on your domain or website that you're not putting there. We don't monetize through ads, nothing like that. And it's a way to transact, right? So Squarespace supports a a myriad of ways to transact from selling physical goods to selling services to booking appointments to, you know, we've acquired companies that let us uh, get into the hospitality space and with reservations. And so a lot of what we're focused on is, you know, one, our, our fundamentals, just being the best place to go for a website in terms of ease of use and expressibility, but also really helping our customers make businesses, uh, helping them transact and really being part of the future of entrepreneurship. So that's a big spread, right? You, you start with, I want to have a business you sign up for a Squarespace account, you set up a website. You got to figure out how to get some traffic to it, which we should talk about. And then somewhere down the end of that road, you've started a restaurant and you're using talk to manage reservations and bookings and stuff. And, and now you're kind of like in inside the walls of the business, right? You're, you're running some of their core functionality. That's a big spectrum, right? You start with, okay, this is a marketing platform all the way to now we're running your business. Mm-hmm. Where's your focus? Well, it really is towards the latter part. Most of the time when people have a website up, they have a website for some reason, especially a paid website like you would have on Squarespace. Mm-hmm. And usually it's to facilitate some kind of transaction. You want to, someone to contact you. You want to book a reservation. You want to book a hotel room. You want to, uh, you want to book an appointment. You want to sell a product. You want to sell a service. You want to sell a digital download, a good. And so a lot of our development efforts remain on this, I would say like enablement for entrepreneurs you know, some of those entrepreneurs may not have a website with Squarespace and that's just fine. We have a lot of tools for entrepreneurs that, you know, it works better with Squarespace as a website, but you can, you might have your website hosted elsewhere. That's okay too. That's a split for me that is particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the growth and the activity is happening at the, you're running your business and people are going to sign up or they're going to book calendar slots or they're going to buy something from you. you you're launching a payments business in the fall. Mm-hmm. All that is away from you're going to start a website. And that to me is there's a break there that I think is just utterly fascinating that if I wanted to start a business tomorrow and get customers tomorrow, I'm not sure that starting a website is the way to go. I might start with making a bunch of TikToks about my pressure washing business, or I might start with uh, I needed a guy to come and cut down a tree. And I went and looked on Facebook before I went and did a Google search. And I found the guy on Facebook in, in four seconds in my area. Mm-hmm. That seems like the big split, right? That the, the marketing function for new businesses is happening on social platforms. And it's not happening at the point of we should start a website. Do you see that split? Or is it we just want businesses that are a little bit more mature and there comes a point when you always, will always need a website. And I like the beginning with pressure washing business. Mm-hmm. That was not something I've heard anyone lead with before. Small <laughs> spectrum. So. Small business TikTok is my absolute favorite side it, it, of TikTok. It, it fits perfectly with Squarespace. But no, to, to answer your question, I mean, again, going back to that 20-year history, we are very used to social networks being around. They've certainly been around in parallel from you know, every iteration of them from MySpace to Friendster to Tumblr to Facebook to Instagram to TikTok, you know, and and, uh, sometimes they come and go. Sometimes they have more staying power. Uh, We actually see more demand than ever for websites right now and the importance of owning that URL because, you know, as you know, 
when you're within a social network, you're sort of beholden to them, right? Uh, you're beholden to them in terms of reach. You know, when you're posting on these social networks, it's not guaranteed that all of your followers you reach when you post. And, you know, again, they come and go. And so if you're really locked into an audience there, if you're serious about what you're doing at all, that becomes sort of dangerous. That being said, they're great for distribution. We encourage all of our customers to be on whichever social networks are relevant to them, including incredibly niche ones, depending on, you know, where people start power washer businesses and how they all interact <laughs> and collaborate. The, by the way, power, power washing is a business that you should have. I, I think vertical. Yeah, it, it, it just feels like that's <laughs> a personally. that is such a creation of TikTok. No, but I, that's so wild to me, right? Here's a new social platform that showed up. Yep. I very much doubt that ByteDance engineers in China built a platform with the intention of a bunch of 20 year olds in America starting pressure washing businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the content that started to go viral. And then people started. To, and now we're at the point of the cycle where it seems like the money in pressure washing is not actually pressure washing, but selling <laughs> master classes about pressure washing. There so it would go. be right. And that, that cycle is just is nuts to me. Right. But it's a function of a distribution platform. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting is you see a different kind of content resonate uh, across these different social networks. It's defined by the medium, right? A certain mm -hmm. kind of content finds its way to Twitter, to Facebook, to Instagram, to TikTok, to any number of ones that have kind of gone away in the past. I'd say two things just to also build on what you're saying. One of the actually big initiatives we have that will be launching in a couple of months is our classes and courses business. So I completely <laughs> agree with you that there's a great amount of money to be made in selling classes and courses and um and then the other thing I would say is, again, towards our portfolio of brands, um, Squarespace bought a company called Unfold about three, maybe four years ago now. And Unfold was a, an app for creators on social media to basically do formatting around Instagram stories. And the thesis there was that, you know, your homepage may not start as a web page, but yeah. it may be your Instagram feed is the beginning of where you want to start. And we want to be around you and help you with the tools you need, whether it's you know, a link in bio with our BioSites product, a full-fledged website, which might be too much for certain people, or getting into the flow with commerce. And so um, that's something we've definitely contemplated and, and, and certainly have been, you know, watching over the past two decades as we've coexisted with social networks. Would you describe Squarespace today or in the future with those kinds of products is still primarily a website company? I think the brand Squarespace, we've spent a considerable amount of money uh, associating with the word websites and online presence and domains and, you know, all the things to go along with it. I think as you get further away from the core of what Squarespace does, the other brands can resonate in a way that is just easier to explain to people. I don't need to explain to people that Squarespace actually does everything. And it's you know, <laughs> for every kind of entrepreneur. And it just, it just gets overwhelming for people. And, you know, we'll probably be launching more brands in the future. So that leads into the decoder questions here. Uh, that's a, a lot of brands to manage. You've been at it for 20 years. How is Squarespace structured now and how have you changed it over time? As you might imagine, it's in transition. It's always in transition in some ways, but really this move from just the brand Squarespace to these other brands within a portfolio, and it's not that many of them, and you know, they're hung together in a number of ways, right? I mean, they're all kind of in service of entrepreneurs and their shared services, like our payments platform, which you mentioned that they'll all use together. And we, we just started, you know, buying these brands and, and, and launching them probably only four years ago. So for the most part of our existence, Squarespace was structured very, very functionally. You know, my background is you know, product and engineering and design. And while, you know, we've had people running those functions here for, for quite some time, that's kind of like where I was kind of oriented and of course, mostly towards the Squarespace product. And so, we grew up very functionally. So around me would be an engineering head, a product head, a marketing head, a creative head, a customer operations and service head, and like all that sort of thing. And now, you know, with the acquired companies and with the brands we're launching, we're sort of experimenting more with a, you know, I guess what would be considered like a general manager model for less of a better way of putting it, just to make sure that these independent work streams and products can do what is best for them without having to always roll up through one centralized point, which, you know, Squarespace is a multi-hundred million dollar, almost billion dollar now revenue run rate company that's public. Do the leaders of that company have time to focus on five different other brands? I, I would say they, they don't. And so you move to this GM structure to give those brands more autonomy so that they can pursue what's best for their customers and not all that, you know, roll up to just a, what would otherwise be kind of a corporate bottleneck. 
Yeah. So you're kind of, you are going into some sort of divisional structure now, right? We're partially there now. And are you splitting up so that you have, I don't know, multiple designers in multiple places or multiple product leads in multiple places, or are you still centralizing all that? Depending on what's appropriate for the brand and who the leader is, sometimes we'll be centralized, sometimes we'll be dotted line. There's no hard and fast rule. It's just whatever's working best. But there's certain things that I think, you know, are obvious to be centralized, you know, HR, legal finance. And then there are certain things you want to have centralized, like payments. And then there's certain things that Squarespace is kind of special at and it should have centralized and those brands can use those services. And that's like our internal creative agency. So when Acuity goes out to do a, a rebrand, they don't need to go externally to do that. The, the people who worked on the Squarespace brand are more than happy to help those leaders make something that looks fantastic. I mean, that's one of our core strengths. One of these days, I'm going to have a CEO tell me that they've decentralized HR, legal, and finance. And I think that might be the end of Decoder. Like that, That's the end? No, well, it's, no one does it. Uh, it's the one thing that everyone definitely centralized. And, but the, the difference is, where do you put design? Where do you put product? Where do you put marketing? And I, everyone seems to have very different opinions about well, this Well, there, there are examples of decentralized, all those things, and you just are called a holding company, right? So there are actually holding companies that have brands where they don't attempt to mix those at all. We do. Uh, maybe there's a size where that's not appropriate. I mean, I'm not exactly informed of how like Berkshire Hathaway works, but <laughs> I think they wholly own those companies. And I don't think they, I think they got like 50 people in their corporate office. Do you think that you would get so big that Squarespace has a website company and a scheduling company and uh, your design services company? The first couple of those, sure. It sort of already does. I'm not sure we would ever get into kind of like using our agency externally. We would try to help it with yeah. the portfolio brands than, than, than going externally with it. How many people is Squarespace right now? We are a little over 1,700, I believe a little shy of 1,800. And how are those people organized? What's the biggest part of it? And what's the smallest part? Let's see. The biggest part by headcount would be customer operations, but we're, we're pretty lean across the entire company. You know, if you compare a company of our size, you know, 1,700 people to, we call it 1,750, to our revenue level, which, you know, is right under a billion for this year. You know, it, it's a pretty lean company. So we've always had lean design teams. Uh, there's a very large engineering team, uh, a medium-sized product team, a pretty tight marketing team, and then smaller legal and finance and, and, and support functions. When I look at the chart of other big website companies, uh, Automatic slash WordPress, I guess Automatic is kind of a holding company. Uh, Even probably more than us. I'm looking at sort of the market share charts of different CMSs. WordPress obviously dominates the internet. It's like 64% of websites are on WordPress. Then there's Shopify, Wix, Squarespace, around 3%. When you think about growth, is it pure market share? We want more websites on Squarespace. We want to take share away from WordPress. Or is it we want to make more money from our existing customers. It's a variant on your latter idea around money. I, I would say that, you know, you can look at all of the URLs out there in the world and think, well, okay, which ones are even appropriate for us to host? So some are apps. We're not yep. hosting apps. Some are, you know, large companies. Some are large content-based sites, you know, and, and really there's just, they're just all across the board and what those URLs are out there. And I think that there's a certain subset of those URLs that we are really good at managing. The ones focused around small business, the ones that are more creatively oriented, the portfolios, the fan websites, that sort of stuff is really in the sweet spot for Squarespace. And then, you know, also it's it's not a free product. So, you know, we're never really going for just total count of URLs mm -hmm. because we want sort of a more serious user. And, you know, I think it, Squarespace is in no way expensive for what you're, you're getting from it. I mean, you know, we're talking under $20 a month for just so much functionality that's been developed over those two decades and, you know, more every day. So, you know, it, it's not a URL count thing that I'm going for. It's which URLs and which are the more valuable URLs for us. And so that gets us into, you know, how are these URLs transacting? Do we have permission to help them with the transaction? Is the transaction even happening online? You know, and how much of that transaction can flow through us? You mentioned the payments platform we're launching later in the year. You know, that's a big, that's a big thing for us. A lot of people, you know, for smaller URLs, they they buy the URL and bandwidth and storage were commoditized long ago, right? You're not <laughs> really paying attention to that stuff anymore. And so, you know, how do we grow with our customers? If it's not functionality and features or customers they're managing, it's probably transaction volume. So by transaction volume, you mean you've got, I don't know, all the dentists in New York and you just want them to do more dentistry. You want to help them market to well, more customers? Well, that's an interesting example, right? Because yeah. do the dollars 
flowing through when you actually go to the dentist, would that actually flow through us? It probably wouldn't. Versus, you know, if you're on talk and you're booking a prepaid reservation, those dollars do flow through us. Or if you're building a, you know, you're selling a a service online and you check out online, those dollars do go through us. So it's really like a, a really interesting question around how many dollars are floating around Squarespace? I mean, unbelievable billions, yeah. uh, tens of billions. But how many do we have permission to touch and make you know make that transaction easier for the entrepreneur? You know, it's a smaller number. But as we think about the product roadmap, we, we're always thinking about, you know, how do we get more in there? We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. Support for this podcast comes from HIMSS. It can be challenging for men to speak about their health. And whether that's a fear of being vulnerable or just wanting to keep things private, there are just some things we would just rather keep to ourselves. HIMSS knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need discreetly. Hims is a men's healthcare brand looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. Hims dot com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash decoder for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. We're back with Anthony Casalina, the founder and CEO of Squarespace. This is a fascinating way of thinking about Squarespace's business. I had not considered before. You've got categories that you've you've put URLs into. Mm-hmm. And the best part of this conversation is I keep coming up with hypotheticals and you're already in it. So like dentists are a bad hypothetical, but restaurants are a pretty good hypothetical in this case, because you might be able to take some percentage of their transaction or build a tool and say, we're going to take a percentage of transaction, but we're going to get you more transactions total. Have you segmented the customer base like this and said, okay, here are all the URLs in these segments. We're going to go try to conquest them one by one. Look, I mean, Squarespace has always been built as a general purpose tool, right? I kind of like didn't care what your website is. It's like, Mm -hmm. if it's fitting into these patterns, we want to host it, whether it's a dentist website, an event website, you know, whatnot. And even though the dentist website is not transacting, you're not paying for that thing through Squarespace, it still doesn't mean they can't be a good website customer for us, an email marketing customer for us, all that sort of thing. Uh, It's just that our upside will probably be a little bit more capped than if we were like, truly running back office sort of things there. Right. Dennis is not a... I don't think you want to do dental dental insurance billing. We're not currently going after that one. But, <laughs> uh, but, but in a way, what's interesting is it is an appointment-based business. Yeah. And so some of the appointment booking side of it could go through acuity. And so it, it depends on what part of it we're going after. It just seems like more of your growth is inside the walls of the business, right? It's not that we're going to go out marketing and... I think of Squarespace is I'm going to put up a beautiful portfolio for my work, and then you're going to come to me for a consultation, and I'll book you, and something else will happen, and I'll run my business out of QuickBooks, right? And then there's a part of this that you're saying, which is you show up in the office, or you show up in the restaurant, or whatever, mm-hmm. and the point of sale is Squarespace. Or well, that's not the- kind of where we are particularly right now. I think Talk is the example where we are much deeper into the operations within the walls of the actual business just due to how talk is created. But that's that's sort of unique because you're booking the reservation online, you're prepaying online. So right. that makes a lot of sense.
sense there. So most of our transactions and transaction volume and the way we're thinking about expanding is an online transaction first. One way you're definitely expanding is in domains. You just acquired Google's domains business. Walk me through that transaction. It seems like Google launches things, you're tired of it, and they got to flip it, and you were there to, to catch it. How did that come about? First off, I mean, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us. Incredibly grateful that we were um, selected as the, the stewards of that business. I mean, we weren't, like, asking them, like, hey, planning on shutting down domains or anything? Like, you know, like, <laughs> it wasn't exactly outbound. I think they they made the decision that it's not a business that uh, they were going to be in. And they contacted a couple of legitimate parties who could potentially even, you know, take on a, a business of that size, right? Because we're, again, it's not the code or the employees that are moving. It's basically the, the domains themselves and the hosting services and the registrations, that sort of thing. So that really narrows it down to the number of companies that could even support that. And then the other thing that was a big factor is we've been a huge fan and big reseller of Google Workspace mm -hmm. for nearly a decade now, which was very important to them. And we're just incredibly sophisticated in selling domains, selling Google Workspace, servicing it, and managing that for millions of people. And so, you know, we were able to find a transaction that worked for us. And I think it's super exciting. I, it, for me, it's really just the beginning. We're going to be investing a lot more in our domains product, especially you know, the domains product for uh, customers that might not use this as a website, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that was kind of a theme the whole way through this this conversation. Like, you know, we want to just be the best place for you to have have your domains, whether or not the website is with us or not. But yeah, it gives us the um, justification, the opportunity to really relook at that product and relook at that experience, make it world-class. And then also just, you know, we're focused on making sure the transition period when we start that is seamless. We're using a lot of Google's infrastructure that they're currently using in cloud DNS. So, you know, if you're just you know, staying with the product, a lot of the back end will be the same, which is which is really important because, you know, moving registrars is a huge risk there. Yeah. And then the other thing in my mind is, and this is kind of funny, I'm a Google domains customer. <laughs> I use Google domains and I've had a number of domains there for over a decade. And why is that? Because, you know, Squarespace started very website first and then added domain second. It's very valid to get multiple domains on Squarespace now, but just due to inertia and Google domains being a good product, you know, I had left a couple of domains there. So <laughs> um, I am extremely interested in making sure that a really good experience uh, exists on the other side for all of our customers, myself, our employees who use this product. And, you know, we're familiar with it. And I just see it as a great opportunity. I've bought so many joke domains over the years that I'm confident that I have some Google domains. I'll let you know well, to make sure you get you'll, you'll, let me, you'll let me know. <laughs> but after, <laughs> after, after me and some of the people here are guinea pig guys, uh, offer ourselves a guinea pig transfer. But no, I mean, we have incredible resources dedicated to this. I'm confident it'll be, it'll be a success. And yeah, for us, we've been on the internet for, you know, all of our lives. We, you just pile up domains for some reason. Yeah. It's just, a, <laughs> it's just like a fun thing to buy. They're, they're like the original NFT. Um, <laughs> Uh, a little more utility. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, more utility than NFT. More utility. <laughs> uh, so you said you're just buying the domains. You're not buying the people. You're not buying the infrastructure. Is that is part of it? Okay, we're going to get these domains. We have a suite of services. We can go market to those customers now too. Or is it? Hey, maybe some of them will actually move to our, our web solutions as well. Look, we'd love it if they use Squarespace as a website. But again, I think that Squarespace domain should be a completely legitimate option, whether or not you would like to use Squarespace or not. Will you? Will we try and show you things about our services? Sure. And if you unsubscribe from that, we'll leave you alone. Again, I was a Google Domains customer, so I am in that seat of understanding what that experience should be like. But we're using a lot of the same yeah. infrastructure Google is using in their cloud DNS product. And so, you know, we think it's, it's going to be a... A good outcome. This leads into the other classic decoder question about decisions. This was a big decision to make. What is your decision-making framework? How do you go about making decisions and how do you apply it to this acquisition? Well, this one was kind of complex, right? Because it's um, very confidential as it's going on, you know, uh, very uncertain at various phases of it. I mean, this one for me, after the inbound and talking it over with some corp dev and engineering a little bit, this was almost purely a, a 
business decision. And it was interesting because we've been in the domains business for almost a decade. And so it's not like this huge build. We've resold workspace for almost a decade. So it's not this like huge build where it's like, oh, all these new things we're going to have to do. There are new parts of this deal that we will have to build to. And we're, you know, we're, we've already got that staffed up. But, um, you know, I think to, to answer your question more broadly, depending on what the thing is, it generally starts with a much smaller group of people. And then I widen the concentric circles to either mm-hmm. stress test the idea or get more people aligned with what we're doing. And Google Domains was no um, no exception to this, right? I mean, had to start with a small group of people because it was so confidential. And then, yeah, we did that widening of concentric circles. I get more buy-in. I pressure test financial models with finance, with the board, try and just gain some conviction that this is something that's smart. The other acquisitions, same way. Some of the product releases and product initiatives, same way. It's interesting because a lot of what we do actually starts from insights and feelings and an orientation we have for doing something for so long. We don't just sit there and wait for all of our customers to ask us for something to do it. So it's an interesting balance between like what we feel of the market needs just being in it for so long and, you know, external factors kind of either popping up as an opportunistic thing like Google Domains or, you know, just something staring us in the face as just being a giant market that we really should have been in. Did you send any emails that were like, we got to keep this away from GoDaddy? <laughs> we would, we are very happy to welcome a large number of customers. <laughs> to our domain. That's good. That's, I've got a whole sequence of questions about AI and that was like a perfect AI. <laughs> Go for it. Sand to the edges right off that answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned your board. You have a rare experience here. You're the founder, you've been at it for 20 years. You obviously started before you were a public company. Now you're a public company. You've been on the public markets for a little bit. How has that changed your decision-making process? So we've been public for just a little over two years now, which, you know, as I'm sure you and other, you've seen another guest would have mentioned is probably not the most fun time to be a public <laughs> tech company, yeah. no matter if you're um, high flying or profitable or anything else. I mean, we at least have the luxury of being, um, we were running cash flow break even for 15 years and have been profitable for the last five. So, you know, we weren't in this like money losing phase or anything even close to that while being public, which you know, help kind of kind of put a floor on things, if, if, if you will. How has being public changed who we are? You know, aside from just the unfun nature of, you know, dealing with the volatility and dealing with all these new actors that are in the public market, I actually think that it's actually been somewhat of a, a frankly, a good thing for Squarespace. You know, when you're private, you, your employees are waiting for tender transactions to happen. Those mm-hmm. generally happen at a discount to uh, your 49A, which is based on public comps. Over the past two years, uh, depending which comps you pick for us, we're trading at a premium to those public comps. So you could be unhappy with the share price, but I can almost guarantee you privately it would have been lower. So that's been good. I think, you know, after getting into the cadence with the with the quarterly earnings, I think it brings a discipline to the company that I wouldn't say we didn't have before because we certainly prepped for two or three years before going public, including having, you know, mock earnings calls and everything else. This wasn't like a giant (laughs) surprise, but I actually think it's been a really good thing. I mean, the employees can get liquidity. Investors can get liquidity. You have this lovely dynamic where there's analysts looking at Squarespace all the time asking sometimes good, sometimes medium questions about, you know, how the business <laughs> is going. But but in a way that that's 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 a level of transparency that you don't have in the private market. And it, it really forces you to think about, you know, what are we really doing here? Well, you know, if we're we're here for another year, two, three, four years, you know, do we have a viable growing business or do we not? I think it puts it in your face all the time. Luckily, because our business is mostly a subscription and has been built over the course of 20 years, a lot of our revenue is very, very predictable because we have all these existing cohorts coming over. And so, you know, it really is about what can we do for growth. And so, you know, um, I I think the public markets generally greatly dislike unpredictability. We're more on the predictable side. You know, we're not a money losing business. We've been operating this way for quite some time. There's a million opportunities in front of us in terms of these services for entrepreneurs, uh, the payments business, the other acquisitions, things like Google domains. I think it's exciting. And so, you know, it's just a different kind of world. I think it's, yeah, maybe hard. Look, the past two years has not been fun to be any public tech company um, outside of maybe like three or something like that. But even there, it sort of sucked. So that's just been different because I think 
think Squarespace you know, generally plays are used to up and to the right, maybe not as fast as they might have liked, but up and to the right. So it's traumatizing to see the value, you know, change like that so rapidly. But we're here to stay and just so many great opportunities coming up. So it's exciting. I mean, and you get kind of immediate feedback on that stuff in the public market. So, you know, it's just a different equation. How has it changed your decision making now? It's been about two years. Have you perceived, okay, I'm making decisions more slowly or more guarded? Has there been an effect that you can that you can call out? People always seem to want to get into this like, oh, well, they're going to do all these short-term things to meet the quarter mm-hmm. or something like that. There aren't that many short-term things I can do to meet the quarter. <laughs> We're not like a, you're not like a Salesforce business. I can't yeah. like, they can't, there's not many tricks, you know? And so if anything, I think it's, accelerated decision-making about things that aren't working so that we're optimizing more for the long-term. I think depending on if we needed to do something like super risky that would just, you know, change the whole model or something, I think, you know, maybe I'd have a different feeling, but you know, a lot of what we're doing is additive. I think it's actually accelerated decision-making because it's like, Hey, you're going to make this decision now, or this is what it's going to look like this quarter, next quarter, next quarter, like do it, move forward. It gives you in a weird way. Um, let's say air covers the wrong word, but you can point to some numbers and say, this thing's not contributing to this in year two or three. Do you ever see it? Or, Hey, do you really want this expense right now? Yeah. Or do you really want, you know, another point of free cash flow, another two points of free cash flow to guess, you know, working in that direction, which then just opens up even more opportunities for us, right? I mean, to be able to fund a transaction, there's only so many companies that can even fund a transaction like Google Domains, either out of cash or debt. And so, you know, that's really important to us for when these things come around. Like, you know, imagine another world where, you know, we were private, burning cash. Maybe we couldn't even finance it, you know? Like, so I think it's been positive. All right, one more short break. We'll be right back. Support for Decoder comes from Shopify. Some people might say cat memes built the internet, but it's e-commerce that keeps the lights on. If you've dreamt of building a business, Shopify can be a great place to start. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. It doesn't matter if you're a well-established global brand or selling handcrafted goods out of your home workshop. Shopify has the tools to help you go further. Like their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic, or their built-in marketing tools, that can help you create, execute, and analyze campaigns. You can sell wherever, too, online or with their in-person point-of-sale system. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com decoder, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash decoder now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash decoder. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back with the founder and CEO of Squarespace, Anthony Castellano. We were just talking about Squarespace's payments platform that will be released later this year. I think I have a sense of Squarespace. I think I have a sense of how you make decisions. I have a sense of where Squarespace's business would be and where it would go if not for the extremely disruptive shifts happening with AI 
and distribution on the web. So I want to take the second half of this conversation and really poke at that stuff because I'm extremely curious about it. Let's start with AI. Squarespace, like every other company, you've launched some AI tools. You can use AI to auto-generate some text on your website. Write me a paragraph about pressure washing and we'll do it. Right. Great. How does that work? Was, were you, okay, we got to go find an LLM partner and pay a license fee. Is that ChatGPT or are you building your own? Just that turn of it. Yeah. How did you integrate that? First off, just to frame it off for us, I'll take it from two angles. One is we're a a very tech-focused and forward company. I mean, my background is engineering from when I was a kid. Um, So the AI machine learning is absolutely nothing new to us. I mean, obviously, the leaps that um, the LLMs have provided are really kind of exciting and new. And, you know, we're all excited to either integrate them like we've already done you know, in the product for text generation, or we are integrating them on onboarding in the form of prompt engineering into an LLM, which will feed back into the visual product of Squarespace, or even a little further out for us, you know, just how do we incorporate that into assistance? But, you know, we've been incorporating machine learning models in Squarespace for a long time. We've been having, we've had, you know, some form of AI powered support uh, for four or five years now that we've been training on our own data sets and getting better with. This will be an evolution on top of that. That's super exciting. You know, I talked about this extensively in my last earnings call because it was such an overnight interest in all of this. I'm actually not as worried about the impact of uh, the LLMs on Squarespace's core business for, frankly, a number of reasons. One is, you know, we stopped requiring people to code websites two decades ago. (laughs) And also a lot of what we do on Squarespace is not the coding of the website. It's it's storage, it's bandwidth, it's DDoS protection, it's CDNs, it's an SSL certificate, it's domains, it's payments, it's support, it's design assistance. You know, it's it's our email campaigns product. Like it's anti-spam. It's, there's 20 things that are happening in your subscription for something like $20 a month that it's just, there's a lot of value that we do. That's not just like code me a website. And even if you wanted to code a website, I would say that while I think the AI right now can get you to a great starting point, I think that the use of a visual tool is super useful. Even after that starting point is output to you, because you might want to just grab a thing and move it an inch to the left and there's sometimes no better way to do that than grab the thing and move it an inch to the left. (laughs) And so I'm excited about the future of the core business because of, frankly, the, the, the great reception we've seen in the past couple quarters um, on the core product. But then I'm excited to integrate these new technologies and augment the ones we already have. And hopefully that, you know, I'm pretty confident it'll create a tailwind for us. That's a pretty interesting compare and contrast, just given your history. Like, I remember when the first WYSIWYG web design tool showed up mm-hmm. and they basically output bad code. Like, It was just bad. HTML was sloppy all the way around. And the old school web community was like, this is garbage. Yeah. But eventually the WYSIWYG editors won, right? The the Mm -hmm. visual web design systems all won. Squarespace won. Mm -hmm. And yes, some people still hand code their websites and they're, I I love them. They're my people. Yeah, it's great actually. But the sort of mass market all moved on to the easy to use tools. Are you saying this is the same with AI that a bunch of people are freaking out? Journalists, writers are freaking out, but at the end of the day, we're still going to, we're going to be in balance. It's a funny thing to respond to because I'm going to I'm going to preface it by saying I'm blown away by the developments in AI, and I I, I think that the LLMs and the experience of that are amazing. And I think with the prompt engineering and that on top of tools we have is ultra exciting. Do I think people have gone into this like all the jobs are gone tomorrow next week thing like a little too fast? It sure seems like it. And, you know, this is something that's going to be disruptive to many, many industries and something we're incorporating. But, you know, I, I think it, this is a phenomenon where, like, you know, just because everything could be eventually possible, it's not all possible today and even yeah. next week or even next month. And so, again, a lot of those things I listed out that Squarespace <laughs> does, nobody is sitting there going, bandwidth will now be completely different because of the large language, or at least right not right now, you could paint yourself a way of getting there because it's going to, you know, all the coders are 10x productive and then you can get there somehow. But it, it doesn't currently seem like outside a number of very specific use cases, Wall Street has modeled in that all of the company's <laughs> workforces are going to go down by 50% and then the, thus all the profit margins are going up 
you know, by whatever yeah. equivalent is, you know, or, or or this business is completely gone because it's replaced by I don't know what. So, you know. <laughs> but there's one there's place. Of, there's a lot there's of words, but a lot, of, a lot of model updating for some of this. I, I got you. But there's one specific place where mm-hmm. I can say AI is going to radically change this thing. Yeah. And that is the web for two reasons. One, flooding the web with text is pretty easy. If you have a Squarespace account, it's not built into the tool. Right. I can well, set up a new website and have some LLM. You still haven't told me which one, but I can have some LLM yeah, okay. like fill a website with text. Sure. That has implications just for the web at whole. And then right. on the other side of it, there's distribution, right? Like Facebook is not sending a ton of traffic to websites. It's all Google and Google's incentives have really shaped the web for the past decade. And now we're at a point where Google is going to start eating some of those search results. And they're just – maybe AI is overheated in, in some places. But on the web, it seems like the, the issues are fairly clear. Yeah. So to be clear, we currently have in production the ability for you to auto-generate text using – you know, in the background is a call to open AI and, and there are LLMs. And we make that accessible to all of our customers right now. Now, if you were trying to, as you put it, flood the web with text, using Squarespace would probably be a pretty bad way of doing that. I think you'd want to – script stuff and output it and you know all that but but they're no content. but i'm saying i i'll yeah. give you the example just a really dumb example every time i pick an example you tell me the the all the details of this example which is my favorite part of this conversation but i'm gonna pick car dealers yeah car dealer websites are full of garbage right they are basically yep. seo honeypots like you search for a feature in a car that you're interested in and a car dealer has a web page that may or may not be accurate designed to just rank in search that's what I mean. It's going to be a lot easier for that set of actors who are doing something that could be described as honest content marketing, but is actually underlying it pretty insincere, right? They're, so, they're just trying to get traffic. So maybe we live on different webs, but like, yeah. hasn't garbage and content farms on the web been there for like an extreme amount of time? Maybe right, but, not now, but, now, but now you're handing those people a bazooka. Correct. But I would I would wonder what percentage of their articles are actually generating the majority of their revenues. And I wonder how Google is either giving them credibility or not credibility. What, what, I think, what I think of more is how the web has been a massive input to these models. And I think a lot of disruption can happen to certain businesses where if you've ingested the entirety of a, a reputable set of content, right? Oh, a Wikipedia, a Stack Overflow, right? That the LLM model can sometimes do a bit better of actually giving you a response on top of that corpus of knowledge. That's really interesting. I wonder how people are going to feel about the lack of attribution within the LLMs that, you know, Google fought with for a while. Like right now, if you type into Google various search terms, many summaries and cards appear that are not websites that are attempting to answer that question for you. Some of them have attribution. Some of them are just computations that Google will just do, and that's cool. And you don't need to <laughs> go to the website, or maybe yeah. the website is a click later because the transaction is still occurring on the website. But I think it's really interesting how the, to think about how the web and private data even will flow into these models, and for which examples the LLMs will be a better alternative to search, and will there be a worse alternative to search? You know, I mean, one of the examples that comes to mind for is hypothetical, but like a better alternative to search is, you know, I'm a coder, you know, or I used to be now, now I joke that I'm a HR and comms person, but uh, (laughs) I used to be a programmer. And, um, you know, honestly, like looking up those coding snippets and getting started, not writing the whole program for me, but getting started with like, how do I do an X in Python? If it's like this in Java, that's a magical result it's giving you. It's really, really, really interesting. And so I think you'll see reduced traffic to certain kinds of things on the web, whereas you'll see increased traffic in usage of the LLMs. But are you going to watermark Squarespace pages that are made with AI? This is like a, a hot topic, right? That you should be able to somehow detect what content has been made with AI or somehow mark content that's authentically made by humans. And it seems like for a provider of web pages in the most abstract sense, Squarespace could say, okay, if you use AI tools, we're going to tell Google the content on this page is made by AI, or we're going to tell Google actually a human made this. Is there, a, is there an effective way of telling if a content block is generated by AI? Because obviously we know if you click the button on Squarespace, but so if you went to yeah. some other model and pasted it in, I, I don't know if you typed it into a text editor or not. 
I'm wondering if you have this conversation because I talk to Microsoft or Google or whoever, and they're constantly talking about cryptographic solutions to at least imagery and video. Right? Oh, imagery we're, we're, and video would be different. Right. And then even to some extent, they talk about text. Yeah. Right. So there's, it, you can, it's to some degree of confidence, detect when an AI has generated a piece of text. I mean, not to make a joke about it, but what if the AI generated stuff is better than some of the humans? Right? So, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that never happens. And this one's generated by a human. <laughs> I, I ask this because this seems like where you would impose a regulation is on a vendor like Squarespace that's making the web pages, and the reason you would want to impose something like that is, like you said, the, right now these LLMs are being trained on data that the majority of which is generated by human beings. Yeah, the internet up until now, basically. And we're about to hit a point where Squarespace is going to publish a bunch of content generated by AI, WordPress well, or Wix or whoever. They're all going to do it. And then the models are going to start training on that. And then you end up with a, a number of bad outcomes, one of which is model collapse, right? Where the models start failing. I, I have two responses to that. If you're looking to generate a large number of web pages, call it 10,000, 100,000, making 100,000 Squarespace trials and injecting that <laughs> in is probably yeah. a really bad way to go about that. So that being said, from an AI perspective, though, what I've started to contemplate and it's kind of more interesting is, and for a long time, the internet has had robots.txt, which yep. tells crawlers what they're allowed to do with the content on your site. And we've also had Creative Commons licenses and other things you should put on your site so that humans know if you know this is free, if this requires attribution, all that sort of thing. So I, where I think is a bit of the Wild West is... Have we equipped people or even equipped the LLM creators to understand what is allowed to be used, what is restricted, what requires attribution, right? Because that's kind of an interesting one. Like, you know, if I'm asking an LLM a question, I would love to know if it could tell me sort of whereabouts some of the sentences were sourced from. Like, is this 80% Wikipedia type stuff? Is this 80%, you know, Mayo Clinic or whatever, you know? Pick your company that has a large number of URLs. So I was thinking more about it like that from a from yeah. a user perspective, and less about it from like a all of a sudden we're going to be the host to a hundred thousand AI generated articles that you know. And I'm sure somebody's already going about doing that. But no, but I don't. Just to be clear, I don't think it's a single bad actor. Although if somebody yeah. tries to start a hundred thousand Squarespace trials and do AI, more, you know. <laughs> I respect the hustle. They would hit I'm a, saying it would hit a big yeah. um, anti-bot filter. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think that's the bad outcome. I think the bad outcome is all of your customers mm-hmm. start using the tools. On some timeline that doesn't seem that far out, you will be serving a hundred thousand AI uh, generated. I, I, I see what you mean. Basically, it's it, you, you're worried that there'll be no creative writing or imagery. Yeah, because it'll be cheaper and easier to say, again, I'm a car dealer and I know um, I just installed a booster seat for my kid. This is why I had this example in my it's head. It's power washing in cars. That's really that's, that's really where- That's my whole heart. It's a very car-oriented entrepreneur conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always in my head, in the back of my mind. Actually, our first set of guests was all car CEOs. It was very obvious what okay. was happening. Um our kid got a little bit older. We got her out of her car seat. We put her booster seat in the car. And I was just Googling, like, I need to be able to install this thing right, like any parent would do. And, like, 10 of the first results were just car dealerships. Whatever. Like, I I have a neutral opinion on that. They're doing content okay. marketing. That's fine. Yep, yep. There comes a point where the car dealer is going to say, look, I am tired of paying for anyone to write this copy. Right. Just have the intern write me five paragraphs about installing yeah. a booster seat right. and put that on the Squarespace page. And Right. And like that will be easier and cheaper at scale for more businesses to do for more things. Mm-hmm. And eventually that stuff will get indexed into Google. And that will be kind mm-hmm. of a recursive loop that leads to bad outcomes. And at some point, someone's going to say we should stop it. Google could say we could stop it in a pretty dramatic way. Mm-hmm. Or they could come to you and say, hey, start letting us know when this is happening so we can downrank it. Or the government could tell you to stop it. But at some point, that cycle gets to a place where there's more garbage in the ecosystem than not. So, but kind of what you were saying towards the end of that, and I'll respond to the beginning of it. Like, when you say someone should flag that this is AI garbage and we don't want to rank it, Google has as much authority or more as a third-party observer to make that determination than we do, because then you have to trust us. And I actually don't trust, because we haven't invested billions into it, our ability to tell them, because you could just paste something in. 
if yeah. it's if it's completely AI generated or not. I'd say one other thing that as technology evolves, take Squarespace from 15 years ago. Squarespace is replacing web developers. We'll never have we'll never be more jobs for web developers. <laughs> Lo and behold, there are still jobs for people who help people with creativity and content on the web. There are more of them. They've just changed. So if you are like capable of coding really generic websites. Yes, Squarespace totally did displace that, the need to do that a long time ago. And so when you talk about copy or you talk about image generation, first off, there's a lot of things in that realm that are totally unique and a unique story. And you need to, you know, you might start with somebody helping with the paragraph, but you need to write more. Secondarily to your car dealership example, how do you know which one's good? Well, probably you have some human filter for like, no, that's actually a picture of the real car dealership, I think. (laughs) They could could lie completely and fool you. But at some point that will end when you show up at the car dealership. It's not the thing it said it was, right? And so I think these tools will displace a certain amount of like bad writing or something like that. But I do not think right now in their current form, they're a replacement for human creativity and uh, storytelling in its deepest of forms. And I, I think they could be an assist on yeah. that, but maybe that's just a, a romantic me holding out uh, for creativity in the world. It's, it's served you well for the past 20 years. Does most of the traffic to Squarespace sites come from Google? Um, I would imagine, I actually... I, I wish I had a better answer for you on that um, because it would probably depend on the segment, right? For some segments, it might be Google and, and Google rankings, as you know, for certain keywords, there's very few sites that rank for those. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Squarespace sites do great at Google. You know, we've been around for two decades. We know about SEO. But depending on the personality, a lot of your traffic might come from your Instagram page. It might come from where you have a following. So I don't, I don't think there's any one answer to that based on just the entirety of, of Squarespace. When you say you're good at SEO, this is actually something I'm really curious about. You do a lot of design services. You have a lot of templates. Do you feel the tension between, okay, here's where we think the web should go, or here are some experiences we'd like to build, and here's what Google needs in order to rank? I don't think those two things are in tension the way they used to be maybe 10 years ago. I think that there's ways we can mark things up and ways we, you know Google can... Like, like 10 years ago, for example, a classic instance of that would be like, well, we want to push the web in this direction and we want these huge images and the page is rendered by JavaScript and Google's not interpreting the JavaScript and so it doesn't rank right. And like that stuff kind of went by the wayside a while ago. We have better ways of structuring content, um, delivering sitemaps and things that make these forward-looking experiences more crawlable. So less of a thing today, more of a thing, I think, 10 years ago, specifically related to visuals and and indexing of content at Google. Uh, look, I, I hope that for most people who are not programmers, Squarespace will continue to exist as a place that pushes forward what they're able to do creatively by themselves. And we'll always have a place on the web for completely custom-coded, one-off content that is beautiful and creative and amazing. And it may be some time before a CMS replaces those sorts of things. Um, but look, both can coexist. Well, I'm just curious because you can have a website. Your website's not worth a lot without traffic. And so a lot of my silly car dealer example or whatever is they're just trying to get traffic, right? They're they're looking at what people are searching for and they're firing out content to just try to get one click onto their website in the search result. And Google is the last big funnel of traffic from what I can see. Maybe some people have links on their Instagram page or links on their TikTok. The pressure washer guys all have links on their, on their TikTok pages. <laughs> but the last big source of, of traffic is Google. Yeah. And it seems like the influence is getting correspondingly bigger as well. BuzzFeed, for example, was a Facebook product, right? They were not organized around SEO. And now they're getting more organized around SEO because the Facebook traffic has fallen off. That's just a big example I can give you. Do you see that pressure inside your own business? Okay, we help people make websites. In order to market those websites or get traffic, we have to increasingly push them towards what Google wants. I would question whether or not if you are, um, you know, the new power washing company uh, just starting <laughs> yeah, out. We, this episode has done more for power washing than like any other podcast. <laughs> we can talk, We should just do an entire episode. About just on this. Do you have prepared. one? I do not have a power washer. What are you doing, man? I don't know. I'll send you I some just, TikToks. I, never, I, I, mean, I mean, imagine the Zen of using it. I mean, this must be. It's a good time. I mean, it's a good time to buy. And when I do buy one. Okay, so it's a great. Okay, let's see. Funny, yeah, yeah. of course. But you were talking about it with relation to Google. Yeah. So why are people putting this content on TikTok? Why are they putting it on Instagram? Why are they putting it on Twitter? Because to, to rank, 
on the first page of that on Google is maybe not where you should start. Yep. Right? You should start with something that's more niche, a community around you. You know, for blogs a million years ago, you would participate in the comment section and leave your link and get, you know, authority that way. There's different ways to get authority on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you know, name your social network. But I think when people flock to those, you know, greenfield opportunities, it is specifically because ranking on a very common term on Google is not where anyone is starting. That's impossible. That's more the result of success versus the for a generic term, of course, versus the the way you become initially successful. Have you found Squarespace's ideas about the web getting more or less influenced by Google over time? I think less because of what we were just talking about. For instance, if your homepage in your mind is your Instagram profile, yeah, how much does your actual top level URL matter as much as if you were trying to sell a product? the detailed URL that you link to from your Instagram page. That is something, you know, that has nothing to do with Google that we need to really, you know, when we do think about like, where is the traffic coming from and, you know, how are they gaining popularity and how does our, how do our URLs and whatnot present themselves in, in those environments? At the end of the day, most of the transactions that are occurring, maybe almost all of them, are not actually happening on the social network themselves. They're not happening on Twitter. They're not happening actually within Instagram. Some, there are some examples where that might be the case, but a lot of the complex things need to occur. It's still happening at a, at a URL somewhere at some point mm-hmm. because there's a lot of backend logistics and a lot of things need to happen. A lot of delivery needs to happen and that has to hit an endpoint somewhere. And that you're saying all that's better on the web. So people just they convert over to the web and you're going to be there for them. I'm as saying it's provider. only on the web. Unless you're in a walled garden, right? Unless you're right. selling through Amazon, for instance, a physical product. But, you know, as, as sites like the success of Shopify has showed us, there's a massive demand for people to go direct to consumer and disintermediate those experiences. Otherwise, we wouldn't even have a Shopify. They're a great company. They do a great job. We, of course, have ways to sell physical products. We have many other things you're selling on Squarespace that are not, you know, a physical product service, an appointment, et cetera. So. Are you thinking about the next generation of social media services, the decentralized products like Blue Sky and Mastodon and whatever, Reddit clones are, Lemmy, Cabin, right? You're talking about your new homepage is going to be Instagram. We went out and bought a company and made a product to make your homepage better at Instagram. Are you thinking, okay, we got to get ahead of it on Mastodon or whatever? I'm not sure we approach those in any way that's substantially different than how we've approached them appearing in the past. Because again, there has to be, there's usually this link out somewhere. If there's not this link out somewhere, you know, people can't really transact on the platform. And so their businesses are just going to be so limited there. I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether or not content moderation sits on the server or in the client Mm -hmm. and what's more appropriate for that. And what I think is interesting about something like a Mastodon from what I know about it or Blue Sky from what I know about it, I could be getting this part wrong, is by decentralizing the servers, you create an environment almost like uh, old school IRC, if you remember, which is something I grew up on and programmed. We, ran, we used to run the whole Verge on IRC. Oh, it's amazing. Pre Slack, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a precursor to Slack. So I you know, learned to program and that was, you know, from people on that, I should say, from when I was uh, yeah, 14, 15. But remember, there were different networks. And it was all the same protocol, but there were different networks. And so if you didn't agree with one, you could switch to the other. They could interoperate, they could merge, they could split. So that was sort of interesting. It's interesting to see a, like a, a bit of a return to that. So do I think everyone's going to run their own servers? No. Do I think in some context, something more decentralized, but sharing a protocol could work? Maybe. I mean, it used to work for email until spam uh, <laughs> sort of ended that one, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Andy, you've given me a ton of time here. I feel like I go for another hour on just what the future <laughs> holds. It is refreshing to talk to someone as optimistic as you about this stuff. Even that the AI people who should be the most optimistic based on their valuations have a, a twinge of like, oh, so it could kill us all. So, well, yeah, I mean, we didn't get into all those hypotheticals, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I was mostly talking about it in the context of uh, the business and, and not, <laughs> you know, the context of like a dystopian five-year view. So. We're all look the the car dealers are going to be armed with AI, you know, and they're, they're going to pressure wash us all. Always be power washers, though. 
They're, Look, not, I'm gonna, they're not coming for that. I'm going to send you a list of some things to check out. It's going to be great. They're mostly TikToks <laughs> of power washing guys. What's right. next for Squarespace? What should we be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, so many exciting things. Like towards the end of the year, the new product launches we've got for service-based sellers, classes and courses, all the improvements we're making around Google domains, our payments products, hopefully some new brands soon, enhancements to the existing brands, and just a really powerful portfolio of products for entrepreneurs. It remains incredibly rewarding to work on that. And uh, there's just a lot left to do. Amazing. Well, this was so much fun. We'll have to have you back soon. Thanks for coming on Decoder. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Anthony Costalina from Squarespace for taking the time to join Decoder today. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoderattheverge.com. I read every email. Or you can hit us up directly on Instagram threads. I'm at Reckless1280 and on TikTok at DecoderPod. The TikTok is a lot of fun. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Raghun Manavalan and Jackie McDermott. It was edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.